0: This is Alexandra Constantine, and you are listening to the Dicinius Review, where we discuss novels, film, art, and culture from a perspective outside the mainstream. The Review is a Substack podcast, but you can listen to us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple, and anywhere else via RSS. If you enjoy the show, please like, follow, and share this episode. It's a rainy afternoon here in the Lowcountry, and after giving it some thought, I decided to try something different. I was planning on writing a book review on Substack, but for some reason, I only managed to get to two paragraphs before giving up. So instead of trying to write through the writer's block, I decided to record a solo episode and talk about the book I was writing about. Now, I've been in a mood lately. Um, two moods, actually. The first mood is uh, I, I've been not in the mood to read or listen to or watch a lot of American media. So, I found myself catching up on a lot of foreign films and foreign television shows, and pretty exclusively only reading European writers and the occasional Asian writer. The second mood I've been in, and these two moods kind of tie in together about the topic I'm going to talk about, is I've been nostalgic for the time my wife and I lived in Japan. I was uh, triggered in my nostalgia, by my wife discovering an old PC of ours in the closet, starting it up, and finding a bunch of her early photography from our time spent in Japan. And uh, she posted it on Substack, and I'll share the link, because it's some fantastic stuff. Well, this bout of nostalgia to uh, over eight years ago, when we were in Japan, kind of caused me to start watching a lot of Studio Ghibli and uh, a lot of uh, Japanese foreign uh, Japanese foreign films, like uh, The Fantastic Drive My Car, which was an award winner several years ago. The main movie that really kicked off a lot of nostalgia about my time in Tokyo and my time in Japan is Makado Shinkai's Weathering With You, which took place in a Tokyo that I was very familiar with, of course, as an outsider, but still um, seeing Lawson's and trains and everything that is such an integral part of your experience living in Japan was very fantastic, very nostalgic, and it made me want to look uh, old old pictures up and old uh, books I read in, in that time. It's kind of set off, set me off into a mood where that's kind of been my focus the last few weeks. And that's because almost a decade ago, my wife and I got the opportunity to spend several years living in Japan. And it was an amazing experience. And I fell in love with that country, the culture, the people. And the truth is, I was never a Japanophile. I was never a weeb. I actually disliked and had a aversion towards anime, uh anime conventions, anime weeb culture, um, you know, video games, and a lot of things that people in the West immediately associate with Japan and Japanese culture. So when I came to Japan, I came in with a very new, almost neutral conception, which honestly, I think it allowed me to take it all in, both the good and the bad. The truth is, Japan has a lot of amazing, great things about it as a culture and as a country. A lot of things that often don't get mentioned. Um, We tend to focus on Japan from an anime, weeb, gamer perspective uh, with the schoolgirl outfits, tentacles, and, uh, you know, Pikachus and all kinds of nonsense like that. Or we tend to look at Japan as a strictly conservative, uh, traditional place. And in reality, in in practical reality, Japan is a little bit of all that and a lot of other things that completely get mentioned. For example, Japan has a great nightlife. Um, There's a lot of fantastic bars and izakayas which stay open well into the morning. People meet up for drinks. Um, It's a nightlife that is very different than... The American nightlife. And it's almost a little bit more cozy. But at the same time, it's a lot more lonely and kind of manufactured in certain elements. But there's also, besides the big buildings in Tokyo and uh, Yokohama, besides all the neon lights of the different districts, you have a culture that is really into the outdoors. Into picnicking, hiking, rock climbing exploring trails through the forests um, much more so than the United States because it's a lot more accessible due to the geography of the country. Um, and of course, there's fantastic restaurants, exceptionally friendly people that will stop and help you if you look lost. The country itself is very clean. It's very crime-free. My wife would spend you know nights traveling through Tokyo or... Yokohama, without being scared of getting robbed or murdered. Something that you would not do in the United States. You would not, you know, a woman would not go alone with one or two friends on foot or on train through Los Angeles, for example. But you can easily do that in Tokyo because of the Japanese culture. With all the great things, Japan, like any other culture, like any other country, has a lot of negative elements it's a lonely place it's a place that is overworked where employees work six seven days a week sometimes and often go into work very early in the morning and they don't get home until well past 8 p.m you see this you see you take the trains through tokyo and there's adults sleeping because they're so exhausted only to go home to very small apartments sleep a few hours, to go back to the office. Um, It's a culture where nobody goes home early if the boss is still at work. So they sit around and do nothing to make sure that they don't look like the first person that's going home. Um, It's a culture that's very much obsessed with uh, materialism and status, where cities like Tokyo are covered in Designer, name brand uh, stores, fancy cars, and the kind of materialism you find in New York City or London or any of the major Western cities. And one thing that Japan and the Japanese have in common with Americans is that we both have a very isolated worldview which places it, well, which centers us as the center of our own universe. We Americans often have a hard time understanding how everybody else thinks, how people in different countries look at us or look at each other. We tend to have a center of the world mentality. While the Japanese have a very similar worldview where they don't understand the outside world, outside of Japan, except through a very uniquely japanese lens and i'm sure you guys have all heard of the paris syndrome that japanese tourists get when they when their view of paris clashes with their with the reality of paris where they go into these vacations in europe and they're expecting the idyllic french landscape and the idyllic french you know baguettes with vespas and they get to a 21st century city that's filled with crime and graffiti, and they um, they have a breakdown because they, they have an incongruent worldview, which sometimes just clashes with reality. And we Americans have that also, because we look at everything through a lens of American exceptionalism. So what I think is that in order to get a realistic, a more nuanced view of Japanese culture... I recommend watching movies like the recent Drive My Car or reading contemporary Japanese literature. One such novel, I had lying around, my wife actually bought it a few years ago and for some reason I never got around to reading it until last week, is Ryu Murakami's In the Miso Soup, which was published in 1997. Ryu Murakami shares the last name with the more known literary writer Haruki Murakami, who wrote Kafka on the Shore the Winding Bird Chronicle, and a lot of other no- novels that are pretty popular and well-known in the United States. Ryu is the less literary, more pulp, darker, more violent of the two. Um, you could say Ryu is like the Japanese literature version of Bret Easton Ellis. Ryu Murakami's In the Miso Soup is a book about a young man named Kenji who... Works as a night guide in Tokyo's Kabuki cho district of Shinjuku. He is basically a sex tour guide. He's a tour guide for foreign tourists looking for sex or looking to experience a Japanese, the Japanese unique sexual trade culture, specifically the red light district neighborhood known as Kabuki cho, which is in the Shinjuku district of Tokyo. What he does is he he advertises in a English language tour guide booklet and American tourists contact him and hire him to escort him or to escort them around this neighborhood and he connects them with different experiences in the red light district for example the host bars the love hotels the prostitution the date girls and strip clubs, peep shows, and all kinds of like seedy kind of dark um, sexual marketplace uh, experiences that is would be very difficult for a foreigner to take part in without an actual Japanese guide. So one thing to picture Kabuki-cho, which I've been to, and it's not just like a red light district, it's more like a, a kind of a, wild downtown neighborhood filled with bars and restaurants and ramen shops um if you ever watch um, unknown destinations um you can see an episode where he goes to visit um the robot bar which the robot bar is this crazy show with robots and lasers and people in costumes it's like a Japanese version of medieval times, but with robots and lasers and fireworks indoor in this completely unsafe environment but it's it's fantastic. I actually went and did it twice, but Kabukicho, the neighborhood is your stereotypical, like Japanese fantasy plays, neon lights, crazy people walking around, drunks passed out on the street uh you have all these buildings squashed together and sometimes there's like bars three stories high a different bar on each floor um little dingy places weird yakuza guys standing around uh, a lot of weird nigerian immigrants which usually act as the enforcers for the gangs in japan and um it, it's just a wild place to walk around and i'm gonna i'm gonna post some pictures on the sub stack if you're not familiar with the area but Kabukicho, you find as a neighborhood, it's central to almost to a lot of Japanese literature, to a lot of Japanese uh, anime, video games, and that sort of thing, because it's such a distinct place that really captures the imagination of writers and you know both foreign and contemporary and and uh, local artists. Um, so. What Kenji does is he he knows all the hookers, he knows all, all, all the prostitutes, all, all the all the different host bars and the touts and he knows all the tricks. So he takes these guys, you know, charges them a few grand and he takes them around and he spends the time with them getting them to the right places, right? So he takes them to the strip club, hangs out with them, makes sure that they're not getting ripped off or, you know, you know, getting a kickback from the strip club owners. And that's how he makes his money. And he's a young guy. He's in, in his early 20s. He's got a 16-year-old girlfriend that's in college. And, uh, you know, that's his job. And the novel takes starts off several days before New Year's. And he gets a new job. He gets a new client named Frank, an American named Frank. And this guy is weird, right? Frank, he comes off as this large, frumpy kind of awkward very almost like you know you would describe him as a as an incel of some sort somebody that is middle aged has doesn't have a lot of luck and experience talking to people or talking to women and uh, he's awkwardly dressed he he's kind of bizarre and clammy looking and he hires Kenji for 3 nights to take him around Kabukicho in you know find him sex. And the first night, Kenji goes around with him, and this guy is weird. He just acts acts strange. And as the night goes through, they go to a strip club. They go to a peep show. He just starts doing weird things and saying weird, awkward things. And Kenji starts catching this guy in lies. Now, as this is happening, Kenji remembers that several days before, Uh, He meets Frank. There was a murder in Kabuki-cho. A young prostitute was killed and found dismembered in trash bags. And he starts obsessing or thinking that maybe Frank had something to do with it. Especially after Frank starts telling conflicting stories about his past. One minute he's from New York and he played baseball with his brothers. And in another minute he's uh, he's telling him how like... You know, he grew up with sisters in the Midwest and just all kinds of, like, completely fabricated lies. So after the first night is over, which ends with a really bizarre, creepy, uncomfortable scene at a batting cage, um, Kenji goes back to his girlfriend and he is convinced that Frank is this killer. But he is terrified of him because he's also convinced that Frank knows where he lives And that he's going to kill him also if he doesn't continue on with the three days. So he goes back for a second night of taking Frank out. And the book is this funnel of stress and anxiety as they go from bar to bar, um, seedy locale to seedy locale. And they have these pseudo-philosophical conversations about Japan, America, loneliness. And the whole time, you're stressed because you know something's going to happen. It's all building up to a volcano erupting, an earthquake tearing up the reality. And it does. And that's where it goes. Because at the end of the second night, everything explodes. And Frank is the murderer. And we get a scene that is one of the most violent bloody episodes I've ever read in a novel and everything changes the whole world of Kenji changes at this point Um, he gets caught up in this insane orgy of violence caused by Frank and then everything becomes a strange philosophical uh, you know I came it's hard to even describe it because he is stuck with this mass murderer and he almost becomes attached to frank the mass murderer in the same way the kid is tied up with the judge in blood meridian and thinking about it a lot of the conversations between frank and kenji and a lot of the post explosion portrayal of frank reminds me a lot of mccarthy's Blood Meridian and The Judge because Frank is not just a a character he is just like The Judge a force of nature a piece of pure evil that's from the outside yet completely understandable from the inside very much so like The Judge or Anton, Anton Sugar in No Country for Old Men these are villains that make you think about the nature of violence, of murder, of crime, and of loneliness. Now, the book itself is is pretty short. It's about a little bit under 50,000 words. um, More of a long novella than an actual novel. And it's only divided into three chapters, one for each day, which is basically the introduction night where everything's kind of weird the tension-building second night that leads to the explosion of violence, and then the third night, which takes on a more spiritual catharsis kind of element. Um, and uh, it's fantastic. It, it ends on a fantastic note, a uh, confusing note, a uh, very open-ended note. So there's no real resolution, which is something you find a lot in Japanese fiction, that there is no resolution. Because Japanese fiction... And even a lot of movies and anime tend to be very slice of life, very um, passing in nature. There is no direct beginning, middle, and end. It's very open ended, and it doesn't tie everything up. It doesn't explain. It doesn't give you know detailed backstories. It's just it just is, and we don't know what happens after, and we really don't understand what brought this all about. But the book itself is not just an action-murder uh, novel. It's actually an, an exploration of, of loneliness, of Japanese culture. Japanese culture contrasted with American culture and how it's exposed to American culture. And it's an exploration of the Japanese hypocrisy towards sex and the sex trade how so many young Japanese women turn to becoming hostesses or pseudo-prostitutes, not out of the need for money, but out of a strange loneliness where they're just so disconnected. And often how materialistic and empty the Japanese culture is behind all the neon lights of cities like Tokyo. And that right there makes the book fascinating because it's something that I saw firsthand during my time in Japan, and it's something that never really gets discussed in the idealistic or um, fantasy version of Japan that most Americans have, because Japan is a place just like any other. (laughs) It's got good people, bad people, it's got homeless people, it's got light In beautiful places, and it's got darkness and homelessness and murder and sadness and despair, just like any other country on this planet. And In the Miso Soup is a novel that really explores that darkness, that loneliness of the Japanese sex trade and the Japanese culture that is lost on the streets of neighborhoods like Kabuki Cho. So... I highly recommend this novel. It's one you can pick up real quick and read in a day. It gives you a great, like, a great, you know, picture of a time in Japanese culture, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, where the sex trade was still very much so free, a lot more so than it is today, supposedly. But it gives you a perspective on prostitution from a very alien to us culture because one thing I found very interesting is living in Japan something that dawned on me is that the Japanese don't have the cultural foundation of Christianity that all Western countries do Um, even the most atheistic or you know, amoral cultures like the Soviets during uh, communism in Russia or, you know, Eastern Europeans or even Northern Europeans who pride themselves in being very progressive and atheistic, they still have a fundamental Christian foundation to the culture that never existed in Japan. So they, the Japanese approach dating and sexuality in a very from, from a different mindset than westerners do and it's hard to describe unless you experience it and you see it firsthand but there isn't that level of of shame um, that we have a lot in the west and but it's different there it, there's a different you know feeling to it and this quick little short little novel through some of the conversations with some of the women in the novel and different uh some of the different girls that are uh, hostesses and stuff like that, you really get, really get a bit of that, and you see how alien it is, to the point where you, as an American, as a as a Westerner, can almost see Japan through through the eyes of Frank, who is an evil monster. But, and I found that fascinating, and I found it fascinating how you can be in an American reading a piece of Japanese fiction and almost identifying with the monster in the novel. Anyways, pick it up, give it a read, let me know what you think in comments, okay? And thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember to follow, like, and share across social media platforms. And once again, I'm very much interested in your input and conversation, so feel free to comment on the Substacks page.